0: Hi. This fall I was invited to Ohio uh, to talk to the American traditional hooking artists. And I gave a speech, and and, um, I'm going to give it to you now. I just wanted to record that speech and give um, the people in this course. And maybe we'll post it somewhere else, too, where other people can listen to it. But here it is. is. First, uh, The first thing I did was I thanked my husband, who came with me, and Katie Allman, who invited me to Ohio. I guess I just really appreciated being invited there. I don't really go out to speak very much, so it was a real opportunity for me to uh, it was a real opportunity for me to just sort of let my, put myself out there. So here it goes. I grew up in a really interesting place, and like every child at the time, I had no idea how interesting it was. Freshwater Placentia Bay was a tiny community of about 1,200 people. The southeast coast of Newfoundland at that time in the 1970s was still Irish, very Irish. We talked fast with heavy accents. We were ruled by the priest and the Catholic Church. St. John's was the only city on the great big island and it was two hours away and I was isolated. We were all isolated. We didn't have a lot. We had a few tiny stores and you know you brought your jeans behind from behind you bought your jeans from behind the counter at the grocery store. It was that kind of place. I I find now I love reading books about people who live in isolated places. I just I relate to it, you know. In in one way we were really isolated, but in another way we were not. You see, I lived in the shadow of an American Navy base. We lived in the shadow of an American Navy base. One of the communities uh, that I lived near was um, taken down in the 1940s, in the late 30s, early 40s, in the 1940s to build an American base. So I'm used to Americans. I grew up with them. The base that I was talking about was started during the Second World War. We were on the eastern tip of Canada. It was the first entry point for invasion into North America. So uh, it was a strategic place and the Americans had a 99-year lease on the part of our shore that faced directly on the Atlantic Ocean. And by the 1970s, we were no longer worried about invasion, but the base was still there and it was a large part of our lives. My father worked for sixty-five years in public works on the base, and I have six older sisters, many of whom dated Americans and two who married them and For years growing up in the summer, American cousins would come back from, to Newfoundland from the states to visit and We would have so much fun seeing you know coming back and My next-door neighbor used to go visit her daughter and she would bring me back race Roney and I was so oh, intrigued and excited by everything American. You see, we were culturally isolated on one level in Newfoundland, but the base constantly reminded us that there was a big, broad world out there. And if I could find one way to describe it, I would say, as a child, that Americans looked shiny to me. I liked your candy bars and the way women wore fingernails of polish and the fact that you had actually been somewhere besides Placentia Bay. It was so intriguing. You were exotic. Um, I remember this is what my visual memory is like I can still remember the shade of the fingernail polish of a woman who sat in front of us in church on Saturday evening and the way she had her fingers spread out and 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 the lacquer I mean that's just my visual memory is like that. I loved it that you had interesting names that you weren't all Smiths and Murphys and that you had shades to your skin because where I lived everybody it seemed was pale with freckles. And when I was not busy uh, watching you, because I did, I watched the Americans on the base like they were in a zoo. I was busy watching my sisters getting ready to go down to dances with Navy men. I have great stories about that, seeing young American boys jump over the fence and run down the hill as my father was running down the stairs yelling, and that's a true story. I've never seen a kid get out of town so quick. Like he just jumped over like a three railing fence, just like a horse he was, and down over the hill. My sister had accidentally uh, stayed up all night with him. (laughs) And uh, my father was just crazy. So it was not just my childhood that shaped me, but the fact that I was watching it, even as it was taking place. And I'm here to tell you that all that observing and all that watching is what makes me an artist. It is what makes me hook rugs the way that I do. I was an artist when I was a child. I... I was an artist when I was a was a child I just probably I didn't really know it it's just that in rural Newfoundland we'd never heard of that being an artist was not a possibility it was just something that you know I don't know it happened on bewitched it just didn't happen in in my life um but The real reason that I was an artist when I was a kid is because I was watching so carefully. I'm an observer, and that's what uh, observers do. And all that watching is really, again, what makes me an artist. And it's the critical thing for every artist. We're all like that. We notice everything. We're like detectives. Our job is to take it in, to take note, to remember, and to translate it, I guess, in some way. I watch the Americans on the base. I watch what they wore. And I can, you know, like I said, I can... I was so fascinated with everything that that was going on around me, but I also watched the the beach. You know, like I I watched, I saw everything that I could take in. I also watched what was going on in my own house, like my mother and all the mothers around me. They never wore nail lacquer like the woman in church. You know, they gutted fish in kitchen sinks. So I was watching that too. Um, I can still see Cod's eyes staring up from me. Um. In a pot of my mother's cod's head stew, cause that was a it was a special dish that we would have you know maybe twice a month. I watched the women around me, my sisters dressing for the base, my mother walking down the hill the hill to bingo, and I watched the waves that washed up on the shore, and I remember the color of the rocks. You could call it observation, because observation is what's critical to you as an artist. It's what you do as a craftsperson. You must be able to see what's around you. Listening, touching, smelling, tasting, they're all important too. They add to memory and they enhance the experience, but mostly first, first, you must be able to see. Not only must you be able to see, but you must be able to see it from your own perch, your own doorstep, your own perspective. Because that's what's going to make it yours and that's what's going to make it unique. We have so many people looking at other people's work these days and copying that when really what you need to be looking at is your own life. Let's say your perspective is like painting it with your own brush. Only you can see it through your eyes. And it's because I observe that I'm able to make my rugs. It's also because I'm not afraid to put my own twist on things to show you how I see it. And that is really what interests me. I don't really care or watch how other people are doing it. I I like to see how they're doing it. But then I like to think, okay, well, how can I make it mine? If I see something that catches my eye, I try to reimagine it rather than emulate it. Well... Definitely, you know, you emulate it, it's not fair, but I try not to copy it, right? We are all inspired by the works of others. That's part of what an artist does. They collect art, they go to galleries, they read. They take note of what they see, including other art. Rather than copy it, though, a good artist will try to filter it through their own experience, their observations, their life, and see what comes out of it. Try not to copy. Try to imagine. The world needs more imagination. After I left Newfoundland, I moved to Nova Scotia, and Nova Scotia is a beautiful pastoral place. There are green fields, flowers, and trees, and the sea is all around you. To me, at the time, it was devastatingly different than Newfoundland. I was 60, 16 years old, and I miss my friends, my culture, and I miss that harsh, rocky geography, that terrible geogra- that terrible beauty that is Newfoundland. I was just sad. Though later, as an adult, I settled in Nova Scotia, not far from where my parents first moved. I built my studio there, and slowly, over time, it, it actually began with a trunk and an armoire in my living room, and a $2,000 loan from my mother and the blessing of my husband. It has grown from a trunk, to a room, to a studio gallery in the back of my house, to a comfortable studio with seven employees in the heart of downtown. At the same time, I raise my family. Being a mother at the same time as creating a business was challenging. I always let my family take priority, really, and you know, in many ways. Sometimes, I guess, not in the moment, sometimes I would say, Hey, I'm doing this, you know, to my children, but in the overall my family definitely had priority. I didn't travel to teach. I didn't, you know, I, I worked my hours. We would close at three so I could be home. You know, slow growth just suited me. I loved being a mother. And there were times when I was on the phone taking an order and my daughter was crying or talking that I really, I just wanted to scream and run from the house. It wasn't always be easy being at home with a business and small children. I remember hooking with my son on my knee. But you all know that raising a family is one of the most interesting, creative, challenging and rewarding things that we ever get to do in this life. It puts being an artist to shame. Our families and the friends and community that we build around us are our real masterpieces. These are the things that matter. But I think those few years, those few years that I spent lonely missing my community in Newfoundland has shaped the rest of my life. That longing cultivated in me a need to belong. It has meant that I love living in a small community. It has meant that I love being part of a larger community of rug hookers, which though it spreads across North America and on a smaller level globally, it remains a small and welcoming community. It feeds my need to belong. And being with you here has made me realize what a beautiful, peaceful community it is. It has also meant that I love being home Being able to welcome people to my studio. I love, actually love being in the same place day in, day out. I mean, I tire of it sometimes and want to get away naturally. But it is what I love. If I had, you know, if I found out I had three months to live, that's what I'd be doing day in, day out at my studio, at my home. That is the part of the reason why I love really to do everything from my studio, why I don't travel to teach. It's because I feel my studio is really where I truly belong. Um, I also love working uh, with the women who work here in the studio. Um, You have no idea how good they are to me. I've surrounded myself with strong, positive women who allow me to get more done than I could ever possibly do myself. I like to think that I provide them with a a fun place to work and a good place to work. I let them be their own captains whenever possible. You have to hire people who are better better than you at some things. And I'm often asked, how do you get so much done? Well the answer is easy. The women I work with do so much. We are our own little community. The second reason I love um, to bring people to my community. Uh, the second reason that I just teach at home is because I love to bring people to my community. I love to offer that hospitality. I love to say, would you like a cup of tea? Would you like an oat cake? I love to see people eat at local restaurants and stay at the inns and hotels and believe in the importance of community. And if I can help build it in this little way, then that's what I should do. I hope you'll come to see me here. It's my chance to give back to my community. Uh, because, and, and that's just a strong need in me. When I say I need to be long, I don't mean that I need to conform. I like to rock my own boat. In fact, when I first started rug hooking, I think I would have been considered more of a rebel than in someone who wanted to be long. My loops were loopy, my stitches were uneven, and I refused to hook patterns. I preferred old coats and blankets to new wool, but I always found that socially, in the context of a community, of rug hookers, that just didn't matter. They may have shook their heads at my rugs in the beginning, and they may have described them as different or interesting, but to me, personally, the community was always kind. I was never trying to change, ever, ever trying to change, the way other people hook, and I'm still not. I understand the value of hooking a pattern. I just loved making rugs the way I made them. I still do. I have no desire at all to hook fine cuts of wool cloth. But I understand completely when others have no desire to cut wide cuts. We should all hook the way we want to. We should all own our own hands and don't let anybody tell you how to use them. And that's something I've said to people many times just to repeat after me own my own hands and don't let anybody tell me how to use them. Own your own hands. I could stand here and I could tell you stories about not feeling accepted or that it was hard to break through. But the truth is, you know, even if those things did happen sometimes, they don't matter. Personally, I look for the good in people and the positive, And I try to focus on that. I've gotten more support and received more kindness from the rug hooking community than I would have ever have imagined possible. And I have all of you and many others to thank for that. It has been a sea of kindness, and I'm just trying to navigate those waters with thankfulness. I innately knew that it was okay to, that I hook differently, and this is part of what made me an artist. I was just doing it for me. It was a bonus that some other people related to it. What I want to do is I want to make rugs that are beautiful and interesting, and my primary work has always been as you know, in being an artist, it's the most important thing I do. I'm always trying to explore new design ideas and I'm always looking at and playing with new materials. I'm curious. I like to experiment. I could not do this and be on the go all the time traveling the world teaching. It's just not the way I work. And when I first started hooking for about 10 years, I focused on the Newfoundland na- landscape. And I was well into my 30s before I started to see the real pastoral beauty of Nova Scotia and began making my field rugs and my tiny landscapes. It took 20 years for that landscape to settle into me and for me to be able to translate it. That's what I'm like. I'm, I'm slow. I'm catching on to things sometimes like that. You know, I... I I have a good idea of what I'm like, and I observe that too. That's another thing I'm always watching. I'm not just watching all of you and the landscape around me, but I think a lot about the way that I feel and the way that I act. And this is part of being an artist as well. You begin a lifetime of self-discovery. Making art is really about understanding oneself. And really, when we sit to hook, what do we do but think and imagine and dream about our lives and the ones we love. And that's what I'm talking about here. It does not have to be a deep river of thought. For most of us, we hook as a pastime. It's more than that for me, honestly. But I do other things as a pastime, and I understand the beauty of it. When I hook, time just slides away. I get lost in the rhythm of the hand. I feel like when I hook rugs, I'm right with the world. I grew up with a strong foundation of faith from both my parents. We prayed every night and I still personally I say my prayers every day. I believe in God and I honestly feel that I've been given this incredible gift of being able to bring beauty into the world. And being and and, and the gift of being able to teach people how to soothe a worried mind through handwork. The gift of creativity is disposed, is is bestowed on each of us. And every one of you have it. And the more you use it, the more you get. It's such a simple formula. What a beautiful formula. The more you use it, the more it comes. So go out and watch the world around you and get to know yourself. Observe everything and be part of everything that you can. Be curious. Learn and do and embrace the world around you. And as William Blake advises Kiss the joy as it flies. And as I would tell you, create beauty every day. Just that. Go do it and may God bless you as you do.